Well, good morning, and uh, really great to see you all, and uh, welcome to Banjo. This is uh, Gbanga's dad, and great to see him from that stand-up Banjo. Yeah, Banjo, let's see him. And he's with his wife, Ruth. Ruth is not here with us this morning, but it's great to have you with us. So that's uh, Mighty Anivi's granddad, all the way over from Nigeria. Good to have our Ian there as well. It's my nephew. Used to be about this tree. <laughs> 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 well done, he's about the size of Bengal, I think. You know, it's great. Yeah, good. It, it's good to get together. What we've been doing actually, we've been going through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossi, and um, we've so far um, been going through it each Sunday morning. So if you have your Bible with you, and if you want to turn back to that passage that we uh, looked at, it's on page 833 in the Church Bibles, and um, we can just have them open. Do you like DIY? You any good at DIY? Uh, I think I'm pretty good at it, but the truth is I'm rubbish. And I always make the mistakes that we make. I'm never really prepared for it. I'm never really prepared for the problems that it can throw at you. How many times, lads, have you started a job? Yeah, you got it in front of you, all the bits and pieces are there. And suddenly you find you haven't got one of the tools you need, like the wrong size spanner or something like that. You ladies, when you're cooking, you know, you're baking and you're making those good meals and, you know, you've got this really good recipe for this new cake and you're halfway through it, you go to the cupboard and that final ingredient is not there. Ah, oh, disaster. Happened with me one time when Stella wasn't well and uh, George, her brother, came down and I, uh, I made a chicken curry with some curry left over, but it wasn't curry powder I put in it. <laughs> we, I won't tell you what it was, but we couldn't eat it. But there you go. We, we have a saying as lads, you know, what is it? Come on, you'll know this. Um, measure twice, cut once. Get it right. Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. It would have been read out loud to the congregation. And when you follow through that letter, you'll see that he asked for it to be read at other churches as well that he named. And when it arrived at those churches, it would have been read out, read out to the congregation. Then they would have been able to, you know, go through it and work through it together and listen to what Paul is saying. And it will take you around about 16 minutes to read out aloud Paul's letter to the Colossians. Yes, I did try it. It's quite good, actually, you know. I waited until nobody was in. And I just put my timer on my watch and I just read it out aloud. Quite good. I've not really done it like that before. But it takes about 16 minutes, that's all. And in it, Paul reminds the church of what they have in Christ. Paul also relates to them the problems that they face and he knows that they're facing. And he refers to the remedy that they have to hand to deal with the problem. His letter is what you might call a job well done. So far we've seen how Paul has told them that they are brothers and sisters. He's related to them. That's how he addresses them. I'm Paul the Apostle. You are my brothers and sisters. And he knows their struggles and he prays for them. And he reminds them of how important Jesus is in their lives and the relationship that they have with him. And he asks them 
to remember what it was like before they knew Jesus as their Saviour. Last week in chapter 2, we looked at uh, up to verse 6 and 7, that's where we finished up. Let me just read those couple of verses to you. He said this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In those verses before the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul has prepared them. And part of that preparation are those two verses. And when you think about that, Paul, he knows all about their struggles. He's spoken to them about them. And at that particular point, he could have closed his letter. Just listen to those words again. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Then he could have said, do I have an amen with that? And he probably would have got one. And he could have closed the letter. Because he's told them what they should be doing. Don't we often get advice like that? People tell us what to do and then they say, like, now go away and get on with it. And we're guilty of that. People come with a problem and we, we say, yeah, well, what he's got to do is this and this and this and then go and get on with it and go and do it. But no, he hasn't finished. He's got more to say. This is a complete letter. It only takes about 16 minutes to read out loud. So we come to the passage that we read this morning. Verse 8 of chapter 2, he said, See to it. Okay. He's told them what to do. He's told them to get on with it. Now he's going to continue. And he's going to say, See to it. See to what? That no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And this is the line rather than on Christ. Do you get that? Paul, what's he doing here? He's going to stand alongside them. He's going to help them deal with the situation and he's going to deal with it head on. He's not going to pull any punches. And he doesn't put a whole lot of words in that will muddy the waters and cloud the issue. Remember, he can't be there in person. Why can't he be there in person? Well, he's in Rome. It's a long way away. But the real reason is, he's in prison. He can't go anywhere. He's in prison in Rome because of his faith. And he's taking the time to write this letter. These people in the church of Colossae, he's never even met them. He knows at least one of them, maybe a couple of others. But he's never been to that church. It's not one of the churches he founded. He's got his own problems back in Rome. But he takes the trouble to write this letter because he's heard about the struggles that happen. What a challenge for us there, isn't it? You know, when you think about it. 
Uh, how, how much do we put ourselves out to help other people? You know, it's dead easy to give the advice, isn't it? Go away, do this, that, and the other. You get on with it. Oh, Paul is going to stand alongside them, obviously, not physically, but he is with them. And he goes on and he was, and that's what he said in those few verses we just looked at. He said, don't fall into the trap of listening to the mixture of world-based philosophy, the foundations of which are built on thoughts of so-called knowledgeable people who themselves are seeing themselves as being better than God. They know a good about it, but they don't really take the time to really examine it. And they come up with their own ideas and suddenly, boom, they come out with these philosophies, these religious ways. Isn't this? These people I've just mentioned, Paul at one time would have numbered himself among them. Right? That was before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He had his own ideas of how to please God. As these people had who were troubling the church in Colossae. These people he's talking about, their spiritual knowledge is based on trust. Trust in tradition. Paul would have stood alongside them. That's what he did. He put his trust in tradition. He went out to persecute the church on the understanding that he's pleasing God. That was before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You see that? Paul knows what he's talking about. Why? Because he's experienced it. That's who he was. And that's not who he is now. Paul knows that the true believers in Colossae know what he's talking about. And he knows that the false teachers in their midst have infiltrated the church are very persuasive with their words. They're bringing into teaching, which later became Gnosticism, which is basically man understanding things in his way and coming up with the idea that he is right and they're trying to influence everybody else to go along with him. And that's what these people are doing. Now what Paul's going to do in his letter, he's not just telling them what to do, he's saying, look, He's going to bring to them the fullness, get hold of this, the fullness of God's word, right, that will expose the emptiness of their words. Now keep that in mind. I want you to remember that as we go through it, because this is the issue we're looking at this morning. Paul is dealing with this and he says, look, this is the fullness of God's word, and this is the emptiness and the hollowness of the words of these people who come into your church and are telling you things that you need to do which you don't need to do. It's good to do something. But what he's saying is 
Those things won't bring you salvation. It won't make you, it might make you different as a human being. So, just going to read a few things that Paul has already said in the previous chapter. We looked at that last week, it was Colossians 1 verse 15 to 19. Paul has spoken to them about the supremacy of Christ. That's the point he's getting over to these people. Just listen to the words that he said then. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood, his blood shed on the cross. Do you remember what I said last week that within the context of what I've just read is the key verse that runs through the whole of this chapter. It's actually verse 18 in chapter 1. And he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the preeminence. Before we continue, I want you to keep your Bibles open and just think about something I'm going to say now that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in his Gospel. And when I read these words that Peter said, you're going to see the relationship, you're going to see that Paul is saying the similar thing. And Peter says it in his Gospel. And you remember what I said before? You've forgotten. God's word is man's word. Okay? Think about that word. Somebody say that some people say that John in his gospel doesn't give the Christmas story. John does. John does. He goes beyond the Christmas story, way back to the beginning, and then he brings in who Jesus is. And they got Mark and Luke to take it up when we have the actual birth of Jesus here. Okay, it's John 1. I won't read the whole bit. I'll just tell you which verses I'm reading. And you think about them in relation to what Paul is saying here in his letter. Because Paul is talking about the same person that John is talking about here. Okay? Get that. So, John 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And down to verse 3. Through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. You read on, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming. Let me go down to verse 14, what John is saying. The Word became flesh. Get that. The Word. This is God's Word. It's referred to here as the Word. It's personified. Why is it personified? Why does John personify it? Because he's talking about the same person as Paul is talking about. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of 
the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Get that. Full of. You're going to hear that word again. Paul uses it quite a lot, and quite rightly so. Full of grace and truth. Let me come down to verse 17 of what John is saying. For the law was given through Moses. Well, you know that. The law was given through Moses. It was there for a purpose. It was beautiful. It was, it, it was valuable. But it was only a representation of the better thing to come. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Get that? Grace. The grace of God. The truth of who he is. The truth of who Jesus is. That was the fulfilment of the law. So we go back to the passage that we read earlier, and we go to verse 9 and through to verse 12. And these verses, when Jesus was on the cross, he spoke these words. He said, It's finished. Sometimes we say that as a defeatist phrase, you know, like, I've given up, it's finished. Or, or I'm glad to get it over. No, no. This is a phrase saying that it's complete. It's done. It's a joyous cry. And it's not like, I'm glad it's finished. Well, he was. But it's, it is finished. It's done. The work is done. Nothing more needs to be done. Get this in these couple of verses, verse 9 and verse 10. But, uh, Paul goes on. For in Christ, and there's, what word did I mention before you want to hear? Well, it begins with an F, then a U, and then an L. Fullness. Yeah, got that word back up there. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God. Then in verse 10. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. All the fullness. What does that mean? What is Paul trying to say here? He's saying, look, it's complete. You don't have to add anything to it. Nothing needs to be added. And also, you can't take anything away. It is complete. It's done. It's finished. It's perfect. I have to say, as a printer, um, in print, when you print um, on both sides, very often and early on, it was done in two takes. You print everything on one side, and everything can be printed on one side, goes through the press again, turned over, and then you invented a machine which will actually print both sides on one hit. Goes in one end, comes out the other end, complete. And you know what it's called? It's called a perfecter. Right? It's a perfecter. It's done. It's done in one take. Everything. Nothing to be added. Nothing to be taken away. That's what this is. Nothing to be added. The fullness. Nothing can be removed. Jesus is God. God the Son with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is telling us, telling these people, as he's telling us, that he is the supreme power over his church. Question is, 
who is his church. That's what Paul's dealing with here. He's saying to these people, you are his church, and these people who are coming in, no, no, no. no they're coming in with a great deal of knowledge, and you're respecting them for their knowledge, and you're listening to what they're saying. But what you're not doing is going back to the original. I said that last week. You know, I spoke about fake news. A lot of fake news around. A lot of people believe fake news. Some of the fake news you see right through, but other is very, very clever. And what you need to do, if it's regarding scriptural things, what you need to do is go back, put it against the original, and see if it's true. Now, a lot of people know a little bit about a big thing, and then they make you think that you know everything about it. I certainly don't know everything about this. A lot of things I can't answer. A lot of things I don't know. You know, if I knew all the answers, then God isn't as big as I believe he is. Does that be as big as I believe? I'm not. Well, let, let's go back to Paul. In answer to those who are telling them that they have to be physically circumcised in order to secure their salvation. In other words, they need to add something to the death and resurrection of Jesus in order to be right with God. A lot of people doing that. These people were being tempted, not well, are being you know, told that this is what you have to do. And these are Jewish people and they're saying, look, you, you, you people, you know, you believe in Jesus, but that's not good enough, you've got to be circumcised. These people are thinking, oh, well, maybe these people are right, so we do have to do this. We have to add things to it. We have to go away and do other things to secure our salvation. And Paul saying, no, you don't. Let's, let's go to Genesis. We're going to go right back to Genesis, chapter 17. The Lord said to Abraham, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Get that. Circumcision given to Abraham was a sign of the covenant, the relationship between him and God. That was then carried on through the law, which was right, because it became a sign of the covenant between the Jewish nation and God. And that was under the Old Testament, and that was right, because it was again representative of something which was coming, which was better, who was Jesus. Under the law, circumcision was an important symbol of their Jewish identity with God. It was a physical mark representing the state of their heart. Now, the Christian identity with God was the presence of Jesus in your heart and in your life. That's, that's it. That's what Paul is telling them. Physical circumcision was now, from a spiritual point of view, Nothing more than a tradition. Okay, there's a medical reason for it. And we know that. A part of that might have been when they come through the, uh, the, the desert and the wilderness. You know. Well, that's another story. But physical circumcision is now nothing more than a tradition. It had been replaced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, bringing uh, being, the believer being set apart as holy. Does it mean we're, you know, I'm with a halo? It's not what it means. 
it has been set apart ready to serve God willingly because of their belief in Jesus for the believer circumcision was a transformation of the heart it's in here it's not outside but what's in here then is shown outside in the life that's lived Paul goes on having been buried with him that is Jesus in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead now baptism here in this context it doesn't actually have to mean the physical baptism when you are dipped under the water what it's meaning is that you are set apart that you are separated you are unto God and you know when you have you become a Christian you have that gift of the Holy Spirit and what Paul is saying here look spiritually physically but spiritually you've died to sin you've been raised to a new life and that new life is in the faith that you have in Jesus let's go quickly on to Colossians verse 13 through to 15 and we look at this and what Paul is saying look, there's nothing more to pay there's nothing more to pay it's complete it's perfected it's already full and you don't have to in fact you can't put anything to it to make it any better there's nothing to pay he said when you're dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he's taken it away nailing it to the cross the debts paid in full there's nothing more to pay and the price that was paid was the evidence of the one who was nailed to the cross that was it that was the price that was paid it's complete if you want to see the completeness of that price that we paid for the death of sin. Look at the one on the cross. And then he goes on, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of, spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He rose again the third day. You know, just to finish off, because time's gone. When we say there's nothing to add, we're talking about there's no more that we can do other than what Jesus did in order to be right with God. There are things we do do and we should do and we will do. It's right that we should keep the Ten Commandments. But it's wrong to believe that by keeping the Ten Commandments, you will be made right with God. And the words of the hymn, you know, in Christ alone. It is in Christ alone. You know, going to church is great. It's good to come to church. It's good to go to church. It's good that we should come to church. 
But just coming to church doesn't bring salvation. But it's part of your search for salvation. Being here of itself might make us better people. But what we really need to find is the truth of who Jesus is. And that's where salvation is. Reading the Bible is great. I recommend that to anybody. It's really good. You know, just reading the Bible doesn't save you. But salvation is found in the pages of the Bible. You know, when you think about these things, for a Christian to come to church, you might think, well, why do I still have to go to church? I've already found the truth. I don't have to do anything else, do I? You're telling me I don't have to do anything. Coming to church is where you can be part of other people. You can have friendship, you can have fellowship, and your faith is built up. You might say, well, okay, if reading the Bible doesn't of itself bring salvation. And if I find the truth of salvation in reading the Bible, once I've found that truth, I don't have to read it anymore, do I? Well, yes, you do. Why? Because as Christian, it sustains you. And it builds you up. That's what Paul's saying. I'm going to finish with one verse that you will know. It's Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is the truth of the gospel. I headed this talk this morning and be focused. That's what Paul is doing. He's focusing on what these people have in Christ. He's focusing on the truth of the word of God. And he's also focusing on those who are bringing their own ideas, which are not consistent with the truth of God. But let's just read these couple of verses to take away with us from this passage, from Colossians 2, this verse 8 and 10. See to me that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. That's the advice to us from Paul. And then he says, but in Christ, all the forms of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that of ourselves we might find difficult how to understand, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can just open our eyes to the truth. For those who are searching, we just pray that you have told us to search, and it is good to do this. And if we search prayerfully, you will open doors. And our Father, for those of us who have found you, 
We pray that you might just continue to strengthen us, that you might be built up as individuals and as, as, as your church, and that your name might be glorified. Through it, we will be blessed. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus.